ready? Here it is. How much work does it take to fall in love? How much work, energy, you know, strength, planning, uh, blood, sweat, and tears does it take to fall in love? <coughs> Would you agree with me that it doesn't really take much work at all most of the time? I mean, that's, isn't that why they call it falling? For instance, if, if I came up next to Dan, and, and I'll preface this, I would never do this. But if I came over by, although I know Dan pretty well, and pulled the chair out from under him, what would he do? What would you do, Dan? Fall. Probably fall, exactly, right. And, would, and you know, he wouldn't be like all sweaty and, and tired and like, Dan, what are you doing? Well, I'm, I'm trying to fall. No, falling obviously just happens. That's why they call it, call it falling. And 99% of the time, you know, gravity just does its thing. 99% of the time, falling in love just happens, too. An example of this, um, I, had, I had the same college roommate for four years of college, and, or same roommate for four years of college, and uh, during that time, he never really had a very serious girlfriend. He went on dates, he had girlfriends, but none he'd say he was in love with. After college, he went on to work on his master's degree. It was during that time frame that I remember vividly a conversation I had with him on the phone, and his love life came up. And uh, he was a very sincere kind of guy, so he wasn't just giving me a line or anything. But what he said was, is that right now in his life, he didn't need a girlfriend, he wasn't looking for a girlfriend, and he didn't, didn't want a girlfriend. Two weeks um, after that phone call, he met a girl named Carly. And five months after he told me he didn't want a girlfriend, he was engaged to be married. <laughs> and 10 months after that call where he told me that he didn't need a girl in his life, he had one in his life because he was married 10 months after that phone call. Now, you know, you know what I mean by falling? I mean, he fell pretty hard. And then Carly kind of pulled the chair out and, and he fell, and believe me, He's glad he did, but that's exactly what happens. And, and for those of you here today who are married or who have been married, you, you understand that falling in love part, that, that easy, exciting, fun time of love. And, and that, that easy part of love, that falling part, it can last for a while. It's that, in that time frame where that person can do no wrong in your eyes. It's that time frame in which you're hoping that like every text message is from him. Just please be from him. Or that every email is from her. Or way back in the day when I was dating, every letter, you know, we use this thing called mail. In fact, I have a box of these hoping that every letter was from her, right? It's in this time frame where you can spend hours just holding hands. I mean, what'd you do today? You just held hands, you know? <laughs> Spend all evening talking to someone on the phone. What did you talk about? I don't know. We just talk. We <laughs> like to talk to each other. In fact, one pastor put it this way. He said that all that's really required for a person to fall in love is that they have a pulse. That's it. That's all you need to fall in love. But that's not really the idea behind this series now, is it? And when you got married, truth be told, the goal on your wedding day was not that you would fall in love, because on your wedding day, what had already happened? More than likely, you already had fallen in love. So what was your goal? Was your goal that you would just kind of coexist in the same house, like ships in the night? 
Was your goal that you would just get through it? No. Your goal was to be in love. Your goal was to stay in love. Your goal was that through the ups and downs of life that you'd be like that, that old couple on the, older couple on the video that, you know, holding hands, great ups and downs of life. They're still holding hands. They're still walking side by side. But here's the thing. Staying in love, having an enduring type of love is harder. If a person would say that falling in love, all it requires is a pulse, staying in love, not just getting through life. Staying in love requires a plan. It requires work. It requires forgiveness. It requires Jesus. And that is what we're going to be talking about over the next four weeks. And as we get going today about enduring love, there's two disclaimers that kind of are, you know, sort of true for all four weeks. I didn't run these by Steve specifically, but I'm sure he's going to agree with them. Um, otherwise, we can talk later, Steve. But the first disclaimer is this, is that while we will be talking and teaching what the Bible says about enduring love, don't look at us as the perfect example of that. Again, all you have to do is talk to our wives. There is a certain amount of humility in which you talk about relationships because you know, you realize, I realize that I am a work in progress every single day. And so it is with that humility that we, we look at God's word. The second you know, disclaimer is, also goes into the heart of a pastor for a moment. It's kind of hard sometimes to preach about love, marriage, and the family. And you know why that is? It's because not everyone who's listening has a family. Not everyone who's listening is married. And so I guess what I wanted to do to start today is to just talk to those who are single among us just for a moment. There are a certain group of singles here that are single and more than likely going to be married someday. That would include most of the kids among us, right? And others. Now, to you I'd say the reason why you want to listen to this series is because we all have parents who do not show love perfectly. And so it is good so that we avoid the pitfalls of marriage and of, of love someday, that we go back to what God's word says and so that we might be able to see what Jesus says about love and not always maybe the example that I give as a father or a husband. To those who are single and maybe are never going to be married, maybe you're widowed and you're not looking to be married again, this series is still important for you too. And the reason is, is that most of the sections of scripture we're going to be looking at while we're going to apply them to marriage, a section like today really is for any relationship. Whether it's a relationship with your kids, with your parents, with your coworker, whoever it is, these principles about how to show love far greater than just in the marriage relationship, although that's what we're going to hone in on. So what does it take to stay in love then? What does enduring love look like? Let's start with an overriding principle that we will see carried out throughout this series. And we're going to take a look at it from John chapter 13. We read this earlier in our gospel lesson. This is, these are Jesus' words, and he simply says this. A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. Now, it would be so easy 
and maybe you've done this before, maybe you did this earlier in the service, to just read that quick and to quickly gloss over it and for it not to really resonate in our hearts. I'd like to point out something very specific about this verse that you may not have thought about otherwise. When Jesus says to love here, he, he's not talking about love in the sense of a noun. Most of the time, we think of love in a marriage in the sense of a noun, like I'm falling in love. I want to feel in love, all right? Jesus here is saying that, not that love is a feeling, but love, and I spoke to the kids about this exactly, love, don't think of it as something you should be feeling. I mean, feelings are not a good gauge of anything. Love is not something you should be feeling first and foremost. I hope it's there too, but love, more than anything, enduring love is defined by something that we should be doing. Love, as our theme today says, love is a verb. Love is an action word. And then you might be thinking, well, I don't feel like I'm in love with my, my wife right now or my husband right now or today or whatever it is. And, and Jesus would say, no, 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 you're getting this confused. I didn't say love as a noun. I'm not talking about that here. I'm talking to you about what you should be doing, not what you should be feeling. You love your wife, action word. You wash your car, you comb your hair, you iron your pants. What do you do with your wife? You love her. What do you do with your husband? You put up with him, no? You love him, and sometimes that means putting up with him. Love here is a verb, it's something that we should be doing, and that is an overriding principle about enduring love. Don't think about it as all, you know, that, that those flutters in the stomach. Those come when we love as a verb. But enduring love is not that. It's doing. Now, what should we do? Well, I got, over the next four weeks, we'll look at four things. Today, we're looking at one of them. And what to do, what enduring love looks like, we'll find today from Philippians chapter 2. We'll uh, turn there now. I'm going to read just to begin verses 3 and 4. These are words from Paul. They're written in general to how we should be in relationship with people. We're going to talk specifically about marriage. Do nothing out of selfish ambition, relationally, or vain conceit. But in humility, consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. One of the reasons why enduring love is so difficult is because you were born with a disease, and uh, I was born with the same one. And yes, the disease is sin, but I'm gonna get even more specific. The sin specifically that makes relationships hard is this, it's, it's selfishness. We've all been born with this, this sin of being self-centered. And, and this comes up over and over and over again in life. I mean, you know you better than anyone. You are with you more than anyone. You are more than likely naturally going to think about you more than anyone else. And yet enduring love doesn't do that. We find ourselves so often finding that the most important person in our life, the one that we want to please the most, is ourselves. And, and I know as we get older and as we have kids, this changes a little bit. I mean, 
moms are, are just the epitome of, of selflessness in certain ways. I, I know my wife is one of the most selfless people that I know as I see her as a mom. And yet, even then, even then, it is still easy to be selfish with our time, selfish with our money, selfish with our pursuits. I don't like to do that. Well, is it about me or is it about the kids? Or, or You know, it's easy to think about ourselves so often. So right off the bat, we, we have a strike against us because not only are we sinful, but we find ourselves being selfish. And enduring love, though, says that we should be intentional about doing the opposite. That we should consider others better than ourselves. Or to put it another way, treat your spouse as if they're more important than you. That makes sense. Does the goal make sense? Treat your spouse as if they're more important than you. Now, notice, Jesus here is not saying, or Paul is not writing here, about that others are more important. It's not like some intrinsic value that your, your husband is more valuable in God's eyes or your wife is more valuable in God's eyes. It's not a matter of what you are. It's a matter of how we treat them. It's not a matter of whether they are more valuable. It's a matter of that we treat them as if they were the most important person. Now, it's easy to say that. What does it look like? Have you ever been to a wedding where you weren't um, the bride or not the groom? Have ever experienced like that? I think you've probably all had one. Do you notice at those occasions where you were at a wedding and it wasn't for you, that there was this big long line of people waiting to talk to the bride and groom and there wasn't a big line waiting to talk to you? Did you notice that at that wedding you went to, when the bride and groom walked into the reception hall, everyone stood up and clapped, and when you walked into the reception hall, they just kept on eating? You know why that is? Is that because you're more valuable in God's eyes than them? No, because in that moment, they are more important than you, wouldn't you say? In that room, in that day, huh? And it, you have no problem with this, and you act accordingly. I mean, you would never get to the reception place, and go and sit at the head table right in the middle, would you? I mean, in fact, we're content to have our table way in back, and we have no problems with that. I mean, sometimes pastors get pushed ahead a little bit, but, uh, but you know, that, that's fine, right? We wouldn't go up to the microphone during the cute story time and start talking about our kids and our family and our history, would we? We defer to them, don't we? You wouldn't go and take out the nice little video with the music and the pictures and like bring one of yourself and put it in there so everyone could watch your story. No, you wouldn't do that. I mean, this is ridiculous. The point is, we have no issues doing this. There are times where we see and understand that some people in that moment are just more important and we treat them accordingly. Here's what God said. Enduring love does that. Enduring love treats our husbands and our wives with the same kind of humility and awe and deference. That means to defer to someone. Deference as what you would do for a bride at her wedding, for a boss at a company party, for a celebrity 
that you really wanted to see and you were standing in line for, as, as you're asking questions to that celebrity, would you be like cutting you know, in as he's talking? No, you were just like, ah, oh, you know, this is the person I wanted to meet. You defer to them, don't you? This is what enduring love looks like. And, and the thing is, is you know how to do this. You know why I know? Because you fell in love once upon a time and you did this. Have you met my new girlfriend? Ah, oh, right? Have you talked to him? Do you know him? And so we know how to do this, but the, the problem is that that self-centeredness kind of pushes its way in, and if it's never addressed or never talked about, it just continues to live there. The problem is, is that life happens. And sometimes things just get old. We don't think about it. It gets routine. Sometimes there was something that was done or said in the past that we just can't get over. Sometimes it's because the other person isn't reciprocating. So if, if you won't, I won't. If you won't, I won't. We're going to talk more about this next week. And so it's just a snowball that goes in the wrong direction. Sometimes we don't feel as if our spouse deserves it. But guess what? God didn't say, do this if your spouse deserves it. In fact, if they deserved it, he wouldn't have to tell you because it would be easy. Not easy. I'm the first one to say, I don't do it perfectly. I don't do it perfectly all the time. And it's something that as hard as it is, we might begin to get skeptical about what Paul's writing and think. What fairy tale world was the Bible written in? What fairy tale world does this kind of thing happen? And it's almost as if, and I don't know for sure, I don't know this, but it's almost as if Paul senses your skepticism and your pushback. So you know what he talks about in the very next verse after he says for you to do this? Now this this is the fun part. Verse 5. It says, Your attitude should be the same. Your attitude in your relationship should be the same as Christ's attitude towards you in his relationship with you. I know I added some words, but that's the main idea in the Greek behind it. That our attitude in our relationships should be the same as what Christ's attitude is in his relationship with us. And what is that like? Who being in very nature God, Jesus was God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. Now, the fact that Jesus was God, you know what that meant? It meant that whenever he was in a room, whatever event he was at, whatever wedding he was at, whatever room he was in, he was always the most important Every single time. And this just isn't even just like treating him as if he were. He was the most important. He is God. He's intrinsically more important than we are. And yet it says he did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. We don't talk that way. What that literally means is that he did not use his godliness to his own advantage. 
He didn't come into a room and say, hey, I'm God, step away. And we never once see Jesus doing that. He always, even though he was God, treated you as if you were more important. Because you are more important. Because I am more important. As if we were more important. Paul continues. And he made himself nothing. He emptied himself of the godliness that would have otherwise meant that, that he should always be, people should always be serving him. He emptied himself of that and, and, and he became a servant. Taking the very nature of a servant. Being made in human likeness. And being then found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and did what? In his humility, what did he do? Did he come home early without your wife even asking some days? No, it was bigger than that. Was he willing to go and uh, pick up something on the grocery store on the way home? Even though it could be said that it should have been picked up the other day when you're at the grocery store and just did it anyway. Was that how he deferred? It was bigger than that. Was it in that he, he put your pursuits before his and made you more important than he? It was, it was, it was bigger than that. What did he do? He became obedient to death, even death on a cross. See, Jesus had this you know, decision, I guess you could say. I mean, he could have stayed in heaven for those 33 years and just continued to receive all the praise and adulation that he deserved. And he did, because he was God. Or he could have come to this earth, and for 33 years, he could have been the center of attention in the sense of how people would have praised him, everyone, and, and demanding things for himself to make his life better, to make him the center of attention. And he deserved that. But if he did that, what could he not have done? He could not have had a relationship with you. You know why? Because we can't have a relationship with God on our own. Because sin is like this, this deal breaker with having a relationship with God. It gets in the way. So here's, it's, it's kind of interesting that Jesus' decision is somewhat like ours. He could choose one or the other of the things. He could choose to have a relationship with you and defer himself in a way that no one else has ever deferred ever and ever will. So he could choose relationship or he could choose to put himself first. In our marriages, in our relationships, others, we can choose relationship or we can choose to always be the center of attention, to be the most important. But in most relationships, you can't have both. And the good news is that as hard as this is, some of us have failed miserably in this. Some of us have even had marriages that have ended. What I, I want you to know is that because Jesus did this for you, 
you are forgiven of those sins and selfishness of the past. And what I want us to know is that because Jesus did this for us, not only do we have forgiveness, which is most important, we have strength for the next day. We have strength to, to do better. That's my prayer. I mean, just because the goal is hard, does that mean that we change the goal? I mean, I'd, I'd rather know the goal and know that I fail at it so I can work better than just to kind of change the goal so I can meet the lowest common denominator. The goal of enduring love, as we are looking at it today, is to treat the one we love in a marriage, in a parent relate, whoever it is, as if they're more important than we are. Sometimes when marriages hit difficult days, and, and every marriage does, every marriage does, has difficult days, um, sometimes two people can get all caught up into wanting to feel in love again. And I, I get that. I mean, I, I want that every day, too to feel in love. But, but sometimes what happens is you get so concentrated on that feeling that it becomes, you know, it becomes almost you know, counterproductive. It becomes difficult. It, it becomes disappointing. I mean, I, I wish I, I felt in love with my husband, with, with my wife today. <laughs> and sometimes people ask this question, have I chosen the right person to feel in love with? But enduring love asks a different question. As we think of Jesus' love for us, as we think of his servitude, as we think of his forgiveness and his humility, enduring love does not ask, have I chosen the right person to feel in love with? Enduring love asks and gives us the power to answer. Am I loving the person I've chosen? Dear Heavenly Father, I can hear Paul's words inspired by you and uh, go home feeling quite at failure. And, and, and maybe, Lord, in, in a lot of ways I should, because we all need to work on this. Lord, though, uplift my heart, strengthen our hearts with the knowledge of your love for us so that nothing does separate us from your love that we know that we are forgiven, that we know that there is tomorrow, and that you have given us forgiveness and new strength and new life to work towards that difficult goal with your guidance and blessing. In Jesus' name we pray.